Uh, may it please the court, I'm Tim Nelson, Chief Deputy Isani County Attorney, uh, appearing on behalf of Isani County Sheriff uh, Christopher Kalk. So once the sheriff received a permit application in December of 2017, uh, the sheriff's obligations were clear. Um, it was the responsibility uh, of the sheriff to check uh, to see whether there was any conviction in Mr. Bergman's history uh, that was a disqualifying conviction that would render him ineligible uh, to possess a firearm. Uh, the sheriff performed that check um, and located uh, an executive branch record uh, within a database administered by the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, uh, and that noted a disqualifying uh, conviction uh, for an offense that Mr. Bergman, even as we stand here today, uh, still technically stands convicted of. Um, and so once the sheriff identified that conviction, uh, the sheriff's responsibilities under the law were clear, uh, that the sheriff uh, was to classify Mr. Bergman as someone who's ineligible to possess a firearm, uh, and then was unable uh, to provide Mr. Bergman uh, with a firearm permit. Uh, now as surely the court's uh, aware, uh, there was a 2007 order uh, that addressed uh, records related uh, to Mr. Bergman's underlying conviction. Uh, and in our view, uh, there are two primary reasons why that 2007 order. Uh, just, as a, just from the standpoint of the record council, um, it's my understanding that he had applied previously and successfully. And do we, do we know why the variance here? Does the record reflect that? It probably doesn't matter, I suppose, to the disposition. But uh, In our view, that is an issue that's been forfeited. It's not been raised in the course of these proceedings. There's been no uh, due process style argument or an argument that there's a form of estoppel that would apply here. Um, and I think it actually is critical in our view, even outside of a, a technical landscape, uh, because if that had been an argument in this case, if there'd been uh, some suggestion that that earlier uh, permit had some legal weight here, uh, certainly we would have wanted a more developed record about what exactly happened uh, at the time those permits were applied for. In other words, uh, um, you know, what were uh, the circumstances, who issued the permit, what information was provided to the sheriff's office or the law enforcement agency, uh, that was considering the application, uh, what information was accessed by the law enforcement uh, agency in those circumstances. Those are all things we would want to know, but because that issue's not been uh, pressed in the course of this litigation, it's just not something we're, uh, we're aware of. So, and but there's no allegation here that Mr. Bergman has, uh, that he, he has behaved in a, inappropriately or improperly or has violated any laws relative to prior usage? No, there's no allegation to Thank that you. effect. Uh, and so uh, the two uh, reasons why we believe that the 2007 order uh, isn't sufficient here is that uh, as an initial matter, uh, that 2007 order doesn't do anything to change the status of the underlying conviction. Uh, and so in other words, uh, in MDT, this court uh, talked about this concept where in MDT, uh, the court dealt with an individual uh, who had received an order that sealed judicial records uh, and also sealed executive branch records. Uh, but in this court's discussion in MDT, uh, the court indicated that even in that situation with more records sealed than were sealed here for Mr. Bergman, uh, that the individual in MDT still, in, the, in these, uh, this court's words, still stands convicted of the offense. Uh, and so, you know, here we would uh, submit that the same would apply uh, with respect to Mr. Bergman. Uh, and that distinguishes this case uh, from a situation like the one addressed uh, 
by the Ninth Circuit in Lasky, a case that's discussed at length by the Court of Appeals uh, majority, uh, where in that situation you had an individual uh, who took advantage of a Nevada state statute that actually led to a changing of the finding with respect to that individual from a finding of guilty to a finding of not guilty. Uh, Does it matter what the basis for the expungement was, whether it was under the inherent authority versus the statute? The statute? Uh, certainly, in our view, it does. Uh, and uh, there are two primary uh, reasons why uh, that would be significant uh, to us. Uh, one is that uh, under inherent judicial authority, uh, there are limits that this court identified in MDT that mean that uh, uh, the relief available to an individual in Mr. Bergman's situation only goes so far. Uh, and so there's not an ability uh, with the use of inherent judicial authority uh, to achieve an expungement of executive branch records, which of course are the records that were, uh, were critical here. Uh, and the other uh, thing that's significant uh, from our perspective is that you know, the legislature went to work on the topic of expungements uh, after MDT. And so here you have a statute that's drafted uh, that reworks in some uh, significant respects how expungement works uh, in Minnesota, uh, and that statute includes some significant protections. In other words, if you proceed uh, pursuant to the uh, statutory expungement avenue, uh, then there's a requirement that the victim of an offense uh, be notified uh, you know, that there's this attempt to have the, uh, the underlying offense uh, expunged. Uh, and there's a, a guarantee that that victim have the opportunity to provide input. Uh, with inherent judicial authority and the route that was pursued here, there are no protections uh, like that for victims and, and the other procedural uh, dimensions of that statute aren't uh, a part of the story as well. Um, and so our view uh, is that, you know, it's just not appropriate to create uh, a way to circumvent uh, that statutory uh, mechanism in an area where the legislature's done this significant uh, work. And I think there's language in MDT as well uh, that in our view, uh, you know, supports uh, the idea um, that there's some deference or some uh, value to, uh, to credit to the legislature when it works in the area, uh, particularly of access to executive branch records. Um, you know, in MDT, there's language uh, uh, suggesting that, uh, you know, that's a policy arena uh, where, you know, again, there's some reason to credit uh, the work uh, of the legislature. Um, and so, uh, you know, in our view, what would happen here if the opinion of the Court of Appeals uh, stood would be that you'd essentially have uh, an overturning of MDT or at least a, a significant curtailment of the impact of MDT because there um, you, know, you have inherent judicial authority uh, is in focus. Uh, this court uh, tells district court judges your inherent judicial authority permits you to uh, order the sealing of judicial uh, records. Uh, but does not allow you to order an executive branch agency to seal its records. Uh, if the majority opinion of the Court of Appeals in this case stood, what you would have is a situation where the district judge couldn't do that. They couldn't directly order uh, the sealing of those executive branch records, but they'd be able to achieve the same thing uh, because they'd be able to issue an inherent judicial authority order uh, that seals judicial records and then the result would be that implicitly that does the same thing, that it would communicate uh, to an executive branch official, in this case the sheriff, that although I couldn't seal your records, uh, I'm able to is issue an order that has the effect of meaning that you can't use those records uh, in making uh, decisions uh, related to law enforcement and, and public safety. Council, does it matter that the um, expungement order here comes in 2007 so that it's some years before 
MDT, does that matter at all? Uh, in our view, uh, it doesn't. And one of the reasons is that the permit application that uh, triggered all of this litigation came on December 18th, 2017. And so that application comes at that time. Uh, and then the sheriff has a set of rules to apply uh, in 2017 that presumably incorporate all the law you know, that came before that, including MDT, which would have been four years before. In our view, ultimately what you have to interpret is a federal statute. And so divining the intent of Congress when it used the words expunged or set aside, uh, in our view, is the task in terms of interpretation. Now, if I follow uh, the reasoning below that's been used in this case, it's that uh, the federal law uh, indicates that what qualifies as a conviction, they look to the jurisdiction where the conviction comes from. Um, and I don't know that there's a parallel federal statute that says, we're going to use the state uh, definition of expungement uh, to determine what expungement means for the purposes of the federal statute. But I understand the argument um, that if conviction is pegged to what state law is, that what is a conviction may in some way shoehorn in what's an expungement, because whether you still have a conviction or not may depend on whether you're recognizing an expungement. Um, I don't know that in our view uh, it makes a, a difference to the result here. I do agree that in looking at uh, the federal statutes uh, that it does seem to suggest a very high bar. Uh, I think uh, some of the language uh, in those cases, uh, mostly west of us, uh, suggests that if these convictions continue to be available uh, for any purpose, uh, you know, that you've got a problem uh, in terms of satisfying that language that the conviction's been expunged uh, or set aside. So I, I think the federal law, uh, in our view, would be very supportive of the idea that what happened here uh, doesn't meet uh, that bar. But I think even if this court uh, were to say, well, let's set aside any of these federal cases and just think about how Minnesota uh, thinks about uh, expungement, uh, you know, I think then, uh, in our view, there's a lot of guidance that comes out of MDT. Um, and so if you just looked at Minnesota cases and thought, well, what's an expungement for the purposes of Minnesota law? Uh, you know, if you look at MDT, uh, here's a clear uh, demarcation of limits uh, for what inherent judicial authority uh, does. That means that uh, for district court judges, they're only able to work within uh, the context of what's included uh, within uh, judicial branch records. Uh, and so here, you know, what happened with a, a sealing of judicial records isn't even the most far-reaching remedy that would be available under Minnesota law. The statutory expungement uh, you know, mechanism that's available uh, as created by the legislature allows you to do more. It allows you to get uh, into executive branch records um, and has a fairly you know, particular way of, of delineating what's uh, available to be limited and what's not. Um, and so, you know, I guess, uh, again, our, my answer would be you know, under federal law, I think it's clear you know, that it isn't meeting 
that standard. And I think ultimately it is the interpretation of a federal statute that's at issue. But even if this court just said, well, we'll only look at what Minnesota law requires, um, we don't see the support for the idea that what happened here would be far-reaching enough uh, to be an expungement, uh, again, particularly with those more far-reaching remedies available um, after a legislative process uh, that, you know, look carefully at these issues after MDT. Counsel, I have a question that's pretty simplistic. I'm going to ask opposing counsel as well. The federal statute refers to any conviction which has been expunged. So then I look at the order, the district court order of expungement, it doesn't say anything about expunging the conviction. Um, does that make a difference here? Uh, we think it makes a critical difference. And I think, uh, in my view, that brings us back to the part of MDT that looks at the individual who is at issue in MDT, who had had judicial records expunged, and executive... Separate apart from MDT, I'm just trying to match up the words of the statute with the words of the order. Yeah, I, we would agree that uh, that order does not expunge the conviction. Do you agree that if the order said expungement, even if there were some traces of the, uh, because it's inherent judicial authority rather than the executive branch uh, documents, uh, that, that, would, that, that would be an expungement under federal law? I think that if it had said, uh, we hereby expunge the conviction, there's no question in our view that there would be a closer case. That would take away my argument um, that uh, Mr. Bergman still stands convicted. Um, and would move this from a case that's just about access to records and would move it to a case where maybe you've got something that sets aside or disturbs the underlying uh, status of, of what happened or how that's recorded. Um, and it might get closer uh, to something like Lasky, uh, you know, where you've got a state statute uh, in, in that case uh, that enables somebody to have that guilty finding changed from guilty to not guilty. If we had that here, you know, if there was an order that had said, uh, henceforth, uh, Mr. Bergman, um, you know, she'll be considered not guilty going forward and the verdict she'll have the word guilty crossed out and not guilty written in. Um, I think that would add a, an incredible amount of strength to the idea that, you know, this, this is, uh, you know, this is a, an expungement for the purposes of federal law. But without that... Not that I'm aware of. I'm not aware of any authority that would give the judge the ability to do that. Uh, and, and it's critical in our view because without that, then in the, uh, in the shoes of the sheriff, when they get a permit application, here they find a record uh, that identifies a conviction. And so the question is, as the sheriff, what do you do with that record? Um, and you know, a question a sheriff may have as well, is that really something someone's still convicted of? Uh, and in our view, it is, uh, you know, pursuant to the way that concept was dealt with in MDT, uh, pursuant to the idea that there isn't that authority to have gone underneath and, and eliminated the conviction like what happened in Lasky, um, and pursuant you know, to the idea that, you know, there just wasn't anything um, that even purported to do that in this order, even purported to say that, uh, you know, we're eliminating uh, the conviction or vacating the conviction altogether. Council, I want to ask you about the 2007 order. What, if any, relevance is there to paragraph three of the uh, court's conclusions, or the, the ordering paragraph three? This relates to the Anoka County uh, Community Corrections Department. Sure. So uh, our uh, uh, 
So community corrections would be under the supervision of the judicial branch. Uh, and so in our view, that's consistent with the idea that the order only goes so far as to touch uh, records that are under the province or authority of the judicial branch. Um, and so uh, those records, uh, uh, yeah, in our view, um, you know, would be uh, appropriately included. I think that would fall within the spirit of MDT. Um, but doesn't get so far as to reach these critical records that a law enforcement agency uh, like the sheriff's office is going to reach to um, when it performs the background check. I think the amicus brief from the Sheriff's Association outlines well what that process looks like and what their responsibilities are in terms of the databases that they're, they're going to. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, in our view, that just wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be relevant or wouldn't relate to community corrections and those other judicial branch records. Well, we would typically think about corrections as part of the executive branch, not part of the judicial branch. So that's really why I'm asking you my question. Sure. Uh, well, and I guess even if uh, community corrections was characterized as an executive branch agency, um, then I think for our purposes, uh, you know, you'd still have uh, the law enforcement agency uh, having its its records, which would be, you know, I guess a separate place where those would happen and a natural place people would compile that information and look to it for uh, for information. And again, it would be one thing if, if the law enforcement agencies were stacking up records uh, of convictions that were then vacated or, or eliminated in the way uh, that happened in Lasky or convictions that had been set aside through successful post-conviction motions and where the sheriff you know, found a record, but it didn't really identify a conviction that still stood. Uh, but again, that's uh, not the case here because you know the sheriff here is identifying a conviction, a record affiliated with a conviction um, that Mr. You know, Bergman, he still stands convicted of the offense. And so, um, you know, so to us, uh, you know, the community corrections piece, uh, you wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, be, uh, you know, a critical part of, of uh, well, so let me follow up on my question about the simplistic approach that says expunge the conviction. You're saying the conviction wasn't expunged. Correct. Yep. Records were sealed. Well, wouldn't that be true of statutory expungement as well? That refers to sealing records. It doesn't say the conviction is expunged. It says the records are expunged. So, would it, would it be true that under your analysis, um, the, uh, the person convicted could never get the conviction expunged except maybe by a pardon or a post-conviction proceeding? So uh, in our view, there's no question that uh, statutory expungement would make this a closer case and a more difficult case uh, for us. You'd have you know, more happening in terms of the sealing uh, of... Yeah, but, uh, but by, by your argument, it wouldn't make it a closer case. It's just sealing judicial records. Well, it would, it would take away our argument that, well, the executive branch still has records. You know, in, in, the, in the statutory expungement context, there would be uh, more of a reach into the executive branch to seal more of what's available within the four corners uh, of that branch. <coughs> um, I think whether Minnesota's statutory expungement uh, process ultimately would yield the, um, you know, the uh, <coughs> result that Mr. Bergman's seeking, um, I think is a, is a substantial question. I think uh, I maybe address this in a footnote in the brief. If you look at uh, some of the, uh, uh, the federal cases that are out there, uh, there's a very high bar that's articulated in some of these uh, jurisdictions. There's an interesting case out of Wyoming where Wyoming seems to have basically tried to create a workaround just for federal gun rights. Your point, but would you agree that on your primary argument, which is the conviction hasn't been expunged, that would apply to statutory expungement as well? I, I think uh, uh, 
I'm not sure um, that there wouldn't be a distinction there. And I think that this may hinge on whether the court would ultimately say this is a federal question or whether we need to look more thoroughly at, uh, at state law because you know, if, uh, if somebody pursued expungement pursuant to the statute, the Minnesota le uh, legislature created and identified as the mechanism by which you can get uh, a conviction expunged, um, that's a more significant and I candidly would say more compelling argument um, for the idea that under Minnesota law, you've uh, achieved an expungement. Um, but I think for our purposes here, uh, you know, we're just not sure that there's a, a rationale for enabling somebody to get to that sam uh, same place with a record that, or with an order that merely seals judicial records when there's that other avenue available. Um, in other words, uh, you know, if Mr. Bergman were to pursue a statutory expungement, you kind of have one of two ways that could go. Um, one is that uh, he gets uh, an expungement and then that's treated as uh, uh, substantial enough to satisfy the federal statute at issue here. Uh, and then this judicial uh, record sealing business is irrelevant and sort of unnecessary. Um, and not, you know, sort of the right avenue uh, to use uh, to get to that remedy. Uh, on the other hand, if Mr. Uh, Bergman uh, sought an expungement pursuant to that statute and he didn't get it, um, then that may lend some credence to the idea that he's in a situation where the legislature uh, didn't intend for him to have that uh, conviction expunged, uh, which is a topic I think that this court touched on in MDT as well. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Minnesota's legislature, I wouldn't suggest this would be an easy thing for them to uh, you know, accomplish, but if the legislature uh, wanted to do it, it could draft a statute that says that once you uh, file a certain sort of petition and satisfy XYZ criteria, uh, that then after you've satisfied that criteria, all of the records related to it held in any branch, in any uh, part of government whatsoever, uh, should be all put in a big stack and lit on fire or returned to the offender. Uh, Minnesota would have uh, the ability to do that, um, you know, and so uh, you can divine, I think, something from that and that the legislature's decided to handle these issues in a particular way, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, that's still uh, still available. And so our, our view is that that's the appropriate context or forum to work this out um, is for Mr. Bergman to pursue what's available to him um, that the legislature believes should be available to him uh, through the statute. I don't know. I sent an email. I haven't heard back. Yeah. I mean, our view is that one way to read that might be that it, it clarifies what this order doesn't do. In other words, it, it really shows that the district court in 2007 was aware um, that there is this way in which records can exist under the province of the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. And then the court doesn't, as, as you say, go on to uh, say in the ordering section, and those records shall be limited in terms of how they can be accessed as well. Or doesn't go on and say those records should be expunged as well. Uh, you know, I think in some way the court 
flags the issue that eventually makes its way uh, to this court, that uh, this is only as far as I'm able to go. Um, and, uh, you know, hard to know exactly what was in the district court's mind or specifically what the intent was as this was being written, but, um, you know, one possibility here is that the district court uh, was communicating to, the, uh, to Mr. Bergman, um, look, I'm going to give you an order that grants as much as I can give you, um, but, you know, hey, as a heads up, it might not get everything uh, that you're asking for, um, which is almost exactly what uh, uh, the Minnesota Court of Appeals said in an unpublished decision on this topic um, you know, some years later when somebody was seeking review uh, of an order that didn't seal judicial records where the Court of Appeals essentially said there, even though it was unpublished, um, hey, that may not get what you're asking for. Well, again, the critical perspective uh, from the uh, uh, from our perspective, from the county's perspective, is that again, you have a sheriff uh, in 2017. They get a permit application. Uh, there's clear law about what the sheriff is required to do at that point. They need to check to see if there are disqualifying convictions. Uh, the sheriff does that check, finds a disqualifying conviction, uh, and uh, then at that point, the sheriff's responsibilities are clear. Uh, the person then is uh, ineligible to possess a firearm. Uh, we believe what the sheriff did at that point uh, was appropriate and what was actually required under the law. Thank you, counsel. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Guerrero. Good morning, Chief Justice morning. Gilday, members of the court. My name is Dan Guerrero. I represent James Bergman. So this is a difficult case. Um, I've uh, thought about it a lot. I've conversed with um, colleagues of mine who do far more expungement work and gun restoration work than I do. I've had several discussions with Mr. Nelson. Um, and I think um, I understand the high bar here. And even if this court were to affirm the Court of Appeals decision, uh, I don't know that Mr. Bergman would would actually get the relief that he um, uh, seeks because of this high federal standard um, for possession of, of firearms. The Court of Appeals indicated that the federal law does not require that the expungement be statutory or the result of uh, in the sealing of records for every branch of government. But I think um, it didn't give much more analysis than that uh, in its opinion. Um, and I think that my reading of some of these federal cases would indicate that, that that's not necessarily true under federal law, um, that, that an individual would probably uh, need to have a full expungement, the sealing of, of all records. That's true. Even the state went to bat for uh, some of its citizens to get uh, firearms, uh, uh, their right to re uh, possess firearms restored. And the federal court ruled that 
that 921A33B2, in the language of expungement, requires that that state procedure completely remove the effect of the misdemeanor conviction. Um, Council, am I correct that there's no constitutional argument being made here? You're correct on that, Your Honor. And is statutory expungement an available remedy for your client? Uh, I believe it would be. And um, there may be even another remedy as well, which I've talked and linked with Mr. Nelson about, which not, was not raised below. Um, and so... Uh, which is what? Well, um, this might not be a disqualifier in the first place. Um, um, the disqualifier uh, requires that domestic, domestic assault conviction is defined under federal law, and that has to be a crime that has as an element um, the use of physical force. And so uh, here Mr. Bergman was, was uh, convicted of assault under 609224. Uh, the, the language of the denial letters didn't uh, distinguish which subdivision that, that was. And you have fear and you have harm. And if this was simply a harm um, assault, then it is not a federal disqualifier. Federal case law has, has made clear that that doesn't qualify as domestic assault uh, for purposes of uh, federal firearms disqualifications. So. Now, the remedy would be to uh, go back in Anoka County District Court, um, make application to reopen the file, and then move to um, modify the sentence to reflect the actual statute in which he was convicted, which would, according to my client, uh, did not involve physical uh, harm. Uh, I've had some discussions with the uh, Blaine City Attorney, who was not the city attorney at the time, um, who has indicated, you know, file what you have, uh, I'll take a look at it. But if in fact it's not, uh, 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 so that's, that's the other remedy. Let me ask the simplistic question I asked your opposing counsel. The statute literally says any conviction which has been expunged. I mean, but convictions are not typically expunged, at least under Minnesota law. The judicial records are sealed so the conviction can't be identified. Does your client meet the literal words of federal law, any conviction which has been expunged? Um, well, I think with respect to the judicial records, he does meet that uh, that uh, definition. But um, as Did I said- Did the court order expunge the conviction? I think it's 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 one and the same. I mean, if, if you're gonna seal the record and, and you're gonna get to the definition of an expungement that it actually erases all evidence of it, to make it as though it never actually happened, then I would I would say that yes, that is a uh, an expungement of the conviction. Um, there's actually language in some of these uh, expungement orders that says that the, the person is not to be held um, liable for for indicating that he hasn't been convicted of a crime, and uh, if if asked on other applications uh, or future references uh, about about his past record. So by that, by that definition, that is that when the record of the conviction is expunged and so is the conviction, you don't really care whether there's a statutory, there's statutory relief for expungement. The district court's order did the job. It, 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 it didn't do the job 
with respect to the executive branch records. And, and I'm, I concede that. So um, I think, I, I think. I think your argument then should be as a matter of law, the conviction was within the judicial branch records, the records got expunged. And so the conviction has been expunged. Wouldn't it just be that simple? Um, It, it could be that simple, but I, I think I, I think the, the federal case law is not that simple, um, and, it, and it doesn't. If there's if there's some records available um, in the executive branch, um, the, the feds are not going to um, allow an individual to, to possess a firearm if it's a if it's a, a disqualifying offense, if it's a proper disqualifying offense. Um, And, and I, it, it was nice to go back and reread uh, MDT, um, especially uh, Justice Anderson's dissent in his reference to Les Miserables in the plight of Jean Valjean. Um, but what he did say there is, is, I think, ultimately proven true, and that is that um, inherent authority, judicial inherent authority to seal records, essentially... Uh, um, uh, is it, it, their authority to control court records is essentially an illusory remedy, or indeed no remedy at all. And what we consistently see is that the sealing of judicial records alone uh, means virtually nothing to an individual's quest for post-conviction rehabilitation, for housing, for employment, for licensure, for the, for the uh, restoration of gun rights. Um, just to seal those judicial records where the repository of most criminal records lie with the executive, even though those records were created in the, in the judiciary, uh, does little for individuals. Um, and one of the purposes of expungement, obviously, was to eliminate or reduce unfairness to individuals. Uh, and the, the language that Justice Anderson used was, was rooted in these notions of uh, common humanity, uh, sympathy, and the noble concept of uh, redemption. Um, and these collateral consequences that we have for criminal convictions in a lot of ways are, are far more severe than, than the direct consequences. Um, so in, in, in saying all this, I know I'm not making a, a great argument for uh, to affirm the Court of Appeals. I wish they would have given me a little more um, uh, analysis in its decision. Um, but I, I would ask the, the court to, um, to take a look at it and, and to uh, consider affirming uh, the Court of Appeals decision in this case, allowing um, uh, Mr. Bergman to ultimately Get his firearm. The one other thing that I'd like I'd like to mention is is this Lasky case, um, and I think the Court of Appeals cited that not necessarily for the proposition to define what constitutes uh, expungement under federal law, but as the Wyoming court, uh, the Crank Court, recognized that Mr. Lask Lasky had been, you know, he'd been given this certificate under state law that his guilty plea had been changed to not guilty and then he was thereby released from all penalties and uh, disabilities related to that crime 
when in fact he wasn't. Uh, he still could be charged under state law with being a felon in possession of a firearm. And they talked about him being mousetrapped. And I think the Court of Appeals was likely saying here that that's what Mr. Berglund had been, mousetrapped, where he'd begin in a specific order expunging his judicial records for the very purpose of being released from prohibition to possess a firearm. And he relied on that order uh, to obtain and consistently renew his permit to carry. And, and I think the difference in Matthew is that then we have a state law that really broadly totally erased, totally completely um, did away with the earlier conviction. And I just don't think we have that. Yeah, and, and I would certainly agree, Your Honor, that Mr. Bergman was never charged with a crime as, as a result of him possessing a firearm. Um, although there's, um, there's a question about whether he could be. Um, and so the, the, penalty, the consequence there in Lasky was um, far more severe than what happened here. My point is that both had, had thought that they uh, were legally able to, to possess um, firearms, given some uh, assurance, in this case from Mr. Uh, Mr. Bergman, from a district court order um, that sealed his judicial records and had language in there that specifically cited uh, uh, 21 uh, USC uh, 921A 33B2. Um, so, uh, and obviously, if he had uh, consistently renewed the permit for 10 years, he had good reason to believe that he did have uh, a right to possess the firearm. Council, we have this uh, canon of statutory interpretation called associated words, and there's a fancy Latin phrase associated with that, but where you, you've got a list of things, you figure out what one word means by reference to the other words. So in um, sub 20B, it says any conviction which has been expunged, that's number one, or set aside, that's number two, or where you've been pardoned, that's number three, or number four, you've had your civil rights restored. What do you think we can learn about the, the phrase expungement based on the other three words, the other three words and phrases? Well, I think you, I'm not sure. You, you probably have to take them each one at a, a time. And, and um, I think either one of those uh, occurrences um, would allow um, would allow the individual or that conviction not to be considered a disqualified a disqualifying a disqualifier under federal law uh, for purposes of uh, possessing or receiving firearms. Uh, unless there's any further questions, I, uh, I think I, that's all I have. Thank you, Counsel. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Nelson, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal.
Uh, first, in touching on uh, the status of the underlying uh, uh, conviction, um, I think as Mr. Guerrero points out, this hasn't been litigated in the context of this case. Um, I do want to note that Mr. Guerrero did call when he thought that may be an issue, so I can't say I'm standing here today hearing that for the first time. Um, but I think we agree with what I understand Mr. Guerrero uh, to, I, I think, have conceded that uh, that's a forfeited issue in the context of this litigation. Um, we always say, you know, as government attorneys, our job is to get it right. Um, and so if there is some remedy that's accessed at some future date, I don't know that there's a barrier uh, that would prevent uh, Mr. Bergman from renew uh, renewing his permit application with different information if he were to achieve some kind of uh, modification of a sentencing order um, uh, from Anoka County. Um, but our view, again, is that, uh, you know, that's an issue that's been forfeited. And I think one of the reasons why uh, that may have seemed particularly clear early in the litigation is that uh, the 2007 order uh, actually references this and, and indicates in its conclusions of law um, that uh, this is a disqualifier. Um, and so there actually been prior uh, judicial uh, commentary uh, as to that. Counsel, where does the judgment of conviction literally reside in this case? I think it's entered in court. Um, you know, there's a judgment. It's been called judgment of conviction. Uh, sure, yeah, certainly. There's a, there's a document uh, that would be a judgment uh, that would reside, uh, uh, certainly initially, in the judicial branch. Uh, that information then would migrate to other places. Um, it would migrate to... So the official judgment of conviction is in the judicial branch record, right? Sure. Yep. That record now has been expunged, has it not? Uh, that record has been sealed um, so that it can only be accessed in... Uh, certain circumstances, I think, is what the 2007 order says. In sense of the word, we'd say that record's been expunged. Uh, the judgment itself. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, it's been sealed. I don't know that I would concede that it's been expunged. Um, and I think the reason for that uh, is that I think using the word expunged, in our view, creates confusion then about what the status is of the underlying fact of conviction. The court's order says, order granting expungement of judicial records. So it's expunged the judgment of conviction. Um, it is, it is uh, provided the most sealing with respect uh, to records that's available you know, to the court. Um, it's certainly limited access to that record. The question is yes. Uh, I, again, I believe that, you know, that record, the document um, itself uh, has restrictions that prevent access save for limited circumstances. But the fact of conviction uh, ultimately has not been changed. And so, you know, in our view, that's where we uh, have a distinction with Lasky, where you have somebody actually going back to that document. So you're saying the record of conviction has been expunged, but the conviction itself has not. I think that would be one way to, to fairly harmonize uh, uh, what's here. Uh, that if the order in 2007 had said, go to exactly the document that you're describing, uh, bring with a pencil, strike out um, where it says uh, guilty, uh, and write in its place that now uh, the individual's not guilty, I think then we would, uh, in our view, have an expungement of the conviction. But that doesn't happen under the statute either. I mean, even under the the sort of more, I'll call it, the more muscular statutory expungement remedy. What you're just articulating, that isn't, the statute doesn't provide for that. Yep, and I think uh, the, it could, if the legislature were to have a mind to try to clearly create a statute that would satisfy all the requirements uh, for expunged or set aside under federal law. And so, to a point that was raised earlier, the legislature has that ability um, to create a statute uh, that does that. Um, if it has not done that, 
um, then that may uh, give us some indication about the legislature's preference about uh, whether that's a remedy that's available and, and possibly something to infer, you know, a, a legislative judgment about, um, you know, the breadth of the relief that's available here. Um, but, uh, but even without, you know, that, that literal sort of striking, I think it would, in our view, create, uh, you know, a more compelling argument to access the relief that's available under the statute, in part because of the question that Justice Lilhog asked uh, just a moment ago about uh, drawing from these words. Uh, you know, so you have this list of, of phrases, uh, expunged or set aside, uh, restoration of firearm rights, and, uh, and pardoning. One thing uh, that we would draw from that is that when you go through that list, each of them has a statute uh, that corresponds more or less directly with them. So uh, pardon is listed. And, and under Chapter uh, 638, uh, there's a remedy that's clearly uh, defined within Minnesota law for how a pardon happens. Uh, restoration of firearm rights uh, has a companion statute, 609.165, uh, that somebody can use uh, to <clears throat> you know, try to achieve some relief that would have some resonance uh, for uh, this, this federal firearm statute. And so when you get to expunged or set aside, our view is that, well, there too, you know, there's a statute that's available uh, for somebody to go and, and access, um, you know, to try to pursue some relief. And so, you know, I, I guess in our view, uh, allowing uh, inherent judicial authority to nudge its way in, so to speak, that list uh, creates some confusion and makes me wonder whether that's really what would be intended when you draft a list like that. Um, you know, it, it might have been asking a lot of Congress, but they could have included uh, specific language that would cover some of the scenarios that have come up today. They could have said, if you get your statute or your conviction pardoned, or if you get uh, a restoration of firearm rights, or if you have a judge seal, you know, the records that are uh, contained within the judicial branch, uh, Congress could have done that. But they well, I can see why you like the associated words canon, but um, your answer, your, your argument though now is conflating the associated words with state law. Is, wouldn't you agree that the sentence that starts with any conviction which has been expunged is interpreted under federal law? Yes. Yep. Uh, yes. Uh, again, those are words that were drafted by Congress. Um, there, I understand the reasoning of the Court of Appeals in this case in, in saying, well, conviction is defined with reference to state well, the law. First, the first sentence of that paragraph says you define conviction with reference to state law. The second sentence does not, though. So the second sentence to me suggests you read the second sentence based on federal law. The question of... Uh, well, I have a question, though. I think the justice was looking at what the Court of Appeals cited, which was in the definition section, which is A20. But to me, that's not even applicable because that's for crimes that are exceeding one year. You know, that first part about what constitutes a conviction of such crime shall be determined according to state law. That's not what we have when we look at 33A, which is the, the provision specifically for this type of misdemeanor domestic assault crime. So to me, the Court of Appeals just got that wrong. Um, and also, I think in the federal so cases, I. and so did <laughs> Justice Lillog. <laughs> wow, that's a first. Um, <laughs> and the microphones appear to be working now. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> let's see, where was I? 
Um, You've done quite the, enough. <laughs> uh, the federal cases, I think, talk about why the federal statute used those different terms because um, state laws vary in, you know, some, some states call it expungement, some call it a set-aside. Um, so I think that's another reason for viewing them separately. Yeah, we would agree with that, you know, and again, uh, you know, from our point of view, you start with a federal statute, uh, and so we're divining the intent of, of Congress. I think there's been sort of a off the wall, off the ceiling kind of way in which the analysis has happened with respect to uh, where you find the source for deciding what an expungement is. Um, but it's, it's abundantly clear uh, what the federal authorities think uh, when it comes up in these cases from west of us. Uh, certainly in the Wyoming situation, uh, you know, they didn't seem to uh, believe that they were bound by uh, exactly what the state defined an expungement is. Another comment I would make about the mousetrapping piece, which I think uh, came up uh, uh, in, in opposing counsel's uh, uh, discussion with the court, is that, you know, a, a significant piece of Lasky was that, as, as the court noted, that uh, there was a, a charge uh, for possessing a firearm. So that was a, a criminal uh, case. Uh, and so I guess part of uh, our view here would be that this isn't necessarily a matter of mousetrapping so much as it's having flashing lights here available on the way toward the mousetrap saying there might be a problem here. You know, and so in other words, this is something that would be a consideration for the sheriff in, in a case like this to think, uh, wow, if we issue a permit in this situation, are we setting somebody up to have problems uh, down the road? Um, and so, you know, I think the mousetrap, so to speak, is, you know, federal criminal consequences. Uh, we obviously can't speak for the U.S. Attorney's Office about what they would view as a relevant or available uh, mechanism here. Um, but certainly we see enough here to identify a potential problem. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's a matter of, uh, you know, trying to make sure that's clarified for everybody involved. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Thanks to both counsel for the help you provided to the court in this matter. Uh, this case is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course.